please be advised, the following roundtable discussion was recorded prior to the COVID-19 pandemic and mandate for social distancing. Everybody, this is Master Sergeant Carrie Spiro from the 102nd Intelligence Wing Public Affairs Office. Today's podcast, we have the Sexual Assault Prevention and Response Team, and around the room today we have Miss Jackie Tellier, who is our Wing Sark. We have the Wing Commander, Colonel David McNulty, a Victim Advocate, Master Sergeant Deb Hasley, the 102nd Mission Support Group, First Sergeant Master Sergeant Salam Harris, and the Assistant Sark, Captain David Shepard. Welcome, everybody. Thanks so much. Um, and thanks, everyone, for being here today. Uh, I really appreciate uh, your time and your effort on this one. Um, so first, I guess I, I'm going to um, introduce myself a little bit more, tell you a little bit about myself, and then have each of you tell your, tell your stories, and then we'll talk a little bit more about SAPRA. Um, uh, as, as I was introduced, I'm the SAPRA, the Sexual Assault Response Coordinator, for the 102nd Wing, and um, I am here after several years on the outside of the National Guard at the uh, at the uh, Coast Guard, and then I came over here in October of 18. Um, really happy to be working with the group of folks that I'm working with. I get a lot of support from the command, and I get a lot more, even more support from the victim advocate at victim advocates that are all voluntary. And uh, so that's uh, from there. I'll, Colonel McNulty. I'm Colonel Dave McNulty, commander of the 102nd Intelligence Wing, and uh, happy to be part of this today. Uh, I'm viewing this as a commander when it comes to uh, protecting our airmen and taking care of our airmen and uh, the incidents of sexual assault, especially as they impact our ability to conduct our missions. I'm Master Sergeant Hasley. I'm a volunteer victim advocate. Um, one of the reasons I volunteer for this position is because I feel it's a very important role to be able to provide the service to our airmen and wing members. Um, coming from a background of having, uh, on a personal level, dealing with sexual assault um, and not having the support there, I know it's very important, so I want to make sure I could give back that service to people who need it. Hello, I'm uh, Master Sergeant Salam Harris. I'm the uh, Mission Support Group First Sergeant. Uh, I'm giving my perspective from uh, the First Sergeant's uh, view and making sure that you know we we uh, ensure our core values are still in place uh, and make sure that our airmen are are feel safe and uh, feel comfortable when they come into to the base. I'm Captain Dave Shepard. I'm the Alt-Sark for the 102nd Intelligence Wing. Uh, one of the reasons that I volunteered initially to be a victim advocate and then volunteered to be the base Alt-Sark uh, stems from the Me Too movement that began a couple years ago. I enlisted in the military back in 2007, and the number of friends that I made from that point up into the start of Me Too uh, had posted after the beginning of that movement, and to see how many female colleagues, coworkers, airmen that I knew had posted about sexual assault that they experienced either in the civilian world or the military world really crystallized my intent to try to provide support. And I would encourage anybody 
who wants to find out more about sexual assault in the military to watch the documentary The Invisible War uh, and not feel motivated to help others. Well, thanks so much. Um, so at first, I guess I, I want to kind of hear from Colonel McNulty on um, his um, determination to make sure that this program runs. You have a lot of um, priorities within the wing, and you have this budget that you, you know, certain priorities that you have to do, and how do you determine how much effort or how much money is going to go into the SAPA program, and why is that? Yeah, so you're correct in that there are a myriad of priorities, and uh, but uh, this one, uh, it's just critically important, right? Because uh, beyond budgets or anything else, if, if you have sexual assaults in your ranks and you've got a culture where people can't report, then you have an underlying issue, an undermining of trust. And without that, you can't field the team, you can't accomplish the mission. So it really wouldn't matter. Some of these other priorities, we could be uh, doing a great job with them. But if you have this... Uh, you know, silent uh, part of the force that's uh, that's going through these crushing issues. Uh, it, it's going to impact our ability to get anything done. So I, I, I think this is a critically important program. Uh, certainly happy since you've uh, shown up here a little over a year ago uh, to really take a program that had been a little bit neglected and uh, add a lot more uh, life into it and uh, inspire uh, several victim advocates to come forward. Uh, certainly, I'm thankful for them. Uh, we ask so much already of our airmen and our civilian airmen to ask them to volunteer for something yet again, over and above their day-to-day commitments of training and being ready to to uh, to, to fight. Uh, it's truly incredible and inspiring to see them come forward and uh, and want to help. Yeah, that's really a challenge um, to get the people to really want to volunteer sometimes. Um, and but this wing, uh, so far, I have six certified v- victim advocates. Um, I've got an alt SARC. I've got another victim advocate who transferred into the area who's getting recertified, and I got another one in the wings uh, just being initially um, certified. So um, it's it's really I I love the support that we have for the whole wing. Um, so, uh, Deb, tell me a little bit more about uh, maybe, um, uh, you know, how do you, how did you decide that it's a lot of time and effort. You put a lot into it. You go to training. Maybe talk about that, what you do to, to become certified to begin with. Well, there was a whole week of training that we were involved with. And there's a lot of, um, Going through like the different scenarios is very emotional, um, and we talk a, a lot about self care and making sure we're okay as we go through this. Um, so that was a lot for me personally, but I felt that it was a very important program. Um, the training is important. I was able to go to a Nova conference and get a lot of my um, um, earned credits toward my recertification, so I thought that was a great opportunity and encourage other victim advocates. They're able to do that to, to be able to go as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I just eat up any training that you're able to provide um, to be a better victim advocate. And it is a lot of time, a lot of effort to go through, 
but well worth it. And um, I wouldn't do it any other way. And you mentioned NOVA, which is the National Organization of Victim yeah. Advocates. That's right. Yeah. And I follow them along uh, on Facebook, social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I listen to several speakers that you introduced me to um, and follow them. And I just eat up any training I can, I can get to better help. And you're certified through that yes. program, too, yes. as well. So and you have to keep, like you mentioned, the, the continuing education yes. credits that we have to continue to get so we can... At um, least 32 get, a year mm-hmm. to get that recertification. Yeah, okay. Okay, um, great. Um, okay. So we have this really great program, as far as I see, and what I'm hearing around the table here. So... Um, what do you look forward to seeing in the program? Do you do you have any visions on how you, you want to see this kind of evolve for as a from a victim advocate's perspective? I just want to make sure all the wing um, airmen know that we're here for them. Um, I feel like a lot of piggybacking on what Colonel Minolti said that there's that Paul not reporting, and I don't not sure if it's because they don't trust the confidentiality or whatnot, but just get it out there. Get the get them to understand us, get them to, to trust us and know that they should not be afraid to report, that we're here for them, that we're going to help them with the resources and just somehow spreading that word um, that we're, we are here for them and they shouldn't be afraid. Okay. Can I add to that? Yeah. So, uh, this is us on there. So I, I just wanted to add to that because I, I, I like what you said, Deb, but I also feel like uh, the victim advocates to, you know, gain that trust of the airmen, they're going to have to get out there and get to know them a little bit better. It's no different from, like, uh, say, the first sergeants. We go out there and we talk to the troops so we get that, you know, that, that feel, that pulse of, of our troops and our members, uh, and we gain that trust so they, if there is an issue, they will come out and, and tell us and report that to us. But the same thing, same applies to the, you know, the victim advocates. Uh, they need to also get out there and get to know those people because if, if they want them to feel comfortable to report it, they're, they're not going to do it if they don't know mm-hmm. you, they don't trust you. And, so. and just as we have a first sergeant in every squadron, in a perfect world, you'd have enough VBAs that... Absolutely. They wouldn't be a stranger, right? They'd be somebody that's in your unit that you get to talk to, you interact with, and consequently, you get a VBA who understands unique cultures. Uh, we have a very diverse wing with a lot of different mission sets, and what works for interacting with somebody from the CEIG who's doing a lot of deployments overseas might not work for somebody who's working overnight shifts in the in the DGS mission. Absolutely. Can I? Yeah. yeah. So this can be edited out. If it's inappropriate for your question. Um, but the way that I see the SARC program for the base uh, over a long term, maybe a strategic plan, is accessibility uh, is key. I think that with this uh, generation, there are different ways that they would like to communicate that maybe the current program or format doesn't encapsulate. Uh, and again, this part can be, uh, yeah, I don't know yeah. if it's appropriate for the forum, but uh, for example, the uh, squadron innovation funds, um, I think what would be important for some of these airmen to see is that 
the SARC office has its own mission on the base. It's not just the DGS um, fighting that fight, or it's not just the cyber group fighting their fight, or the CEIG fighting their fight, but the SARC, they have their own mission, and they're fighting their own fight against sexual assault. And if we were able to tap into the wing innovation funds, we could potentially create an opportunity for airmen to anonymously communicate back and forth with the SARC through the website. The The applications are out there. It just needs to be applied to the SARC's webpage um, and perhaps some, some funding or some R&D to implement that would be able to tap into a younger generation that maybe feels like they don't have control when their only options are to either have an unrestricted or restricted report, having to see somebody in person. Being able to get information and find resources in a communicative format with the SARC anonymously, I think, would be able to make the program a lot more accessible. And David, can you explain that we do have some bit of anonymous texting available, anonymous emailing, but talk about a little bit more maybe about what your idea right. is. So, so currently, if an airman visited the SARC's webpage to the 102nd Intelligence Wing, they would see that there is a comment box where they can reach out to the base's SARC. Now, the comment box doesn't allow for the SARC to reach back out to that airman or individual unless that airman or individual provides contact information. So while they can make statements or comments or claims, they're not able to get resources if they are looking for more of a discussion on the matter. Currently, my plan is to have on that exact same page an ability for an airman to send a message that is received as a text message or an email by the SARC that the SARC can then reply to. No information from the sender will be disclosed to the SARC. So the SARC will be able to respond to that person's either email or cell phone and receive resources or information that would help them either file a restricted report, an unrestricted report, or seek independent help off base should they need it. Yeah, and that, ju that just happened recently. I, I got an anonymous email through that system, and um, I couldn't identify the person. So I had to actually send an email out base, you know, wing-wide and just say, if anyone has tried to contact me through the anonymous emailing uh, program, please uh, contact me either by my anonymous, my confidential line, or um, send me an email. And I can reach out. So there is a challenge with that. Yeah, I right. agree with you. Yeah. yeah, challenge for the current yeah. format. I mm -hmm. think that uh, looking forward short term, we could probably adapt what is already available in the civilian sector um, to our mm -hmm. mill webpage via the SARC so that sure. we can have that back and forth communicative tool. Mm -hmm. okay. We can okay. also expand it through the app as well, the current okay. app that we have. Okay, great. Um, so, um, so let's talk a little bit maybe about confidentiality, and that's that's in line with this. And um, how much do you think, Salam, how much do you think confidentiality and ability to contact means um, to a to an airman? So it, from their perspective, the confidentiality piece, I mean, that's really a I, I think that's I think that's huge, and I think that's also the reason why, you know, some members are, are reluctant to, to reach out is because they're afraid of that confidentiality, thinking that, you know, how is this going to impact their career if they actually did come forward or how is, you know, it's going to change uh, their workplace? Are they going to be treated differently? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's, it's very important. And we also have to make sure we, 
you know, over communicate that it is confidential and that whatever they report, you know, will stay within, you know, that team. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and you're trying to instill that trust and uh, and yet when we are doing a good job of maintaining that confidentiality, you literally can't advertise that, right? Yeah. So by telling them that, hey, look, trust us, uh, we already are running cases and we are maintaining that confidentiality and protecting that uh, information uh, is not something you can tell. Yeah. But that would be exactly the thing that would build up the trust that they yeah. feel like, okay, I can't come forward mm-hmm. and I'm, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't going to impact me on the job. Right, exactly. So, um, so Colonel McNulty, what do you expect out of your commanders? Uh, I expect my commanders to be uh, intimately familiar with the program. I uh, expect them to take it seriously. I, I give them uh, more than they can handle, right? Uh, they've got the responsibility for executing the mission and for managing their resources and leading their people, but uh, they have to, first and foremost, they have a sacred trust uh, uh, to take care of the airmen that are in their care for the time that they have command to ensure that they operate, uh, you know, they can perform their mission, operate whatever uh, it is that they're supposed to be doing. Uh, so I, I expect them to be ready to go if and when uh, they get a report, know how to handle the case uh, professionally, compassionately, and uh, first and foremost, uh, ensure that the victim is taken care of and, uh, and protected. And also keeping in mind that need to know, that only the people that need uh, to know know about the case. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so... Um, uh, let me see. What do you see as maybe the positives of the program? The positives of of this particular Wings SAPA program. Any positives that you want to make note of? That it's tough, right? We we tend to yeah. think of this in negative terms, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's a good question yeah. <laughs> because I, I, the emotions I feel with this program is. Uh, Disappointment and frustration a lot, right? Because we invest a lot of time in the training and talking about bystander intervention, and uh, we seemingly are forever briefing talking points or sending people through training, and yet these still occur. You know, so it's natural to kind of have a negative attitude towards it and be frustrated as we go through it. Um, I think I do, and a lot of people take it personally. You know, I'm. A husband and a father of young girls and an uncle to a bunch of young nephews who are in the demographic that's often uh, a victim. Uh, So again, that kind of gives you not necessarily a negative view, but certainly uh, uh, some serious emotions on it. I think if I have to find the positive in this, it's uh, that we have so many people truly willing to step up beyond just our first sergeants, uh, you know, and our chiefs wanted to to take this, uh, this role of taking care of airmen. But VVAs stepping up, uh, having a dedicated SARC and Alt-SARC that want uh, uh, to do this mission. So I guess that would be the positive, right? That gives me hope that you've got these people involved in it. And uh, while it may seem counterintuitive, uh, more reports to me would be positive because, you know, if you look at the, the data, uh, these assaults are occurring, right? So seeing the number zero shouldn't be regarded as a, a victory, it, it may mean that there's a lack of trust or something like that. So while it may seem like a counterintuitive stat, having a few more reports that at least is statistically in line with what we know is happening across America uh, would make me feel a little bit better that uh, we had people that were coming out from the shadows and we were actually taking care of them. Yeah, that's what I always say. You know, it's it's good to have a zero number, but then you know that they're out there and and it's good that you have a report, but then you know, oh God, it hurts because 
they did get assaulted and they're coming forward, but thank God. So you go back and forth. Thank God they're getting the help, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So um, anyone else have anything of the positives of the program? I think we're doing a really great job is getting awareness out there um, between the different um, projects that we've been doing. I know we have in April coming up the Teal Flav project, which is going to show awareness. And what we've done is enlisted the help of the student flight in creating these teal flags. And what we're going to do is put it out on the front lawn of um, the hill of Building 170 and show the flag, each flag representing the number of sexual assaults that have occurred in the past year, or 2018, I believe, 2018. Uh, across um, the Air National Guard. And the Air Force. And the Air Force in total. So it really bring to light how many are actually happening mm-hmm. um, and show that awareness. 18, 1808, during fiscal year 2018, the U.S. Air Force and the Air National Guard, that's how many sexual assaults were reported. Now, we know that there were probably more sexual assaults that occurred, but at least 1,808 were reported. And so this flag project is going to at least bring awareness to it and say, maybe open some people's eyes and say, oh, my God, that many. Because when they see it out displayed out on the lawn, maybe that'll help. I think that's a big part is the awareness piece and and bringing in speakers or or whatnot and having them aware that it is occurring and what, what resources, again, are out there. We're also going to have a male victimization speaker in June, um, and we're going to combine that with the annual uh, mandated training for everybody in the wing to attend. So uh, that speaker is going to be pretty dynamic, and and that's going to happen during June, June AT. So that's a that's an exciting thing that's going to happen as well. So um, how about um, some of the challenges, or as maybe you'd see as a negative parts of the program. Is there anything that we can work on uh, that we haven't talked about already? Anybody have anything that, any ideas or? Uh, I'll, I'll start. Uh, I think you have to continuously come up with new ways to kind of re- uh, to give the information. People get a little bit jaded and uh, we don't, we want to raise the awareness and we want to make sure people understand how to uh, report how to get the resources that they need, but I don't want it to turn into kind of the dry annual mandatory training, which just puts up a barrier when you walk in the door because this is the thing I've got to do. You know, uh, so the challenge to find ways like having you know a dynamic speaker come in or do things in different ways that uh, truly connects with airmen, because otherwise we lose people. And you see yeah. that you know if you repeat something even two years in a row, um, people aren't getting as much out of it as they should. Right. Okay. And that's why I guess that's why I came up with that idea. I mean, I was saying I got to do something to make it more interesting for people because if we just run the same old training, people are going to say, oh. Yeah, so pretty close answer to what Colonel McNulty just said. Uh, Obviously, being in the military, nobody is unfamiliar with the concept of uniformity. So we get training provided from higher headquarters that we need to provide to the large audience here on base. However, what I think would really help because our community culture location, uh, the fact that we're in the guard is so unique, the freedom for us to be able to amend, change, or tag onto the end of the training with something a little more specialized to what we here require 
uh, is potentially, I think, a positive way forward for the program if we can get the, the go-ahead to do that. Yeah, right. Okay, um, I think, um, does anyone have anything else that they want to add today? Because I think we're kind of running out of time, but um, Sorry. anyone else? Uh, one last thing I would just say is uh, we always have to think of how do we reach you know, that younger generation too, that's that's key. You know, we, we do a lot of briefings and that most time I feel like it's tailored more towards the older generation that's been around for a while, but we have to think of other methods to, to reach that younger generation that, you know, uses that TikTok app and, you know, they look and they listen to podcasts, which I'm great that we're doing a podcast, but it, we have to think of other methods to make sure we, we reach out and, and, and touch them as well. And I thought I was doing pretty well with the texting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is important. I, I, I know from, uh, I, I communicate with my daughters primarily in text, even if they're in the next room. So, I mean, it, when we talk about, you know, trying to connect with people, uh, what works for the older generation obviously it does doesn't. not work for uh, everyone we're trying to connect with in our ranks today. Right, exactly. I always say, you know, it's like um, I'm communicating with a flip phone while they're on an iPhone. <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> anyway, all right, well, thanks so much, everyone, for uh, your time today. This is in all of your support. I really appreciate that. And um, let's move on and uh, help our, our airmen. All right, thank you, Jackie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.